So, yeah, I want to talk about the new album and get your opinion on a couple of things and talk about this crazy quarantine world we're living in. Um, but I guess we should uh, we should start with the new album, Weapons of Tomorrow, just a few weeks away from coming out. And uh, I, I'm guessing reading through the lyrics of uh, Firepower Kills is actually where you got the, the lyric from the lyrics of that tune is where you got the album title, Weapons of Tomorrow, right? From We Build a Brighter Future with Our Weapons of Tomorrow. Correct. Yep. That's uh, it's, So it's like a pseudo-title track. <laughs> I can see your, 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 uh, your uh, tongue firmly planted in your cheek in, in writing those words, too. I can feel it coming through in that. Oh, I'm, I'm a sarcastic and a cynical son of a bitch. So, uh, you know, I... Uh, that's everywhere in, in the lyrics. We're kind of, uh, I'm in my own view of the world, I'm something of a pacifist humanitarian, but uh, I like to study kind of the evil stuff in history um, and time and civilization, all of that. So I, uh, I have this outlook to it where the band is kind of like evil from its own perspective, uh, or what I would consider evil from its own perspective. So it's like, you know, look at look at what we spend on the military today versus what goes into education, health care, et cetera, and uh, kind of ask yourself, what sort of world do you expect? Right. This is the world that we, we all kind of created. Yeah. Or, well, not even we all, but is right. being created by some people, at least. <laughs> and is that kind of the theme for the whole album, then? No, there's uh I'm never going to do a concept record in my life probably cuz I think I would uh I would hate to have to stay on the tent, same topic for an entire record. But uh <laughs> you see aspects of this theme in a number of different songs on the record uh Crush Beneath the Tread. It's just I guess the fear of the future is a theme for maybe about half the record. Okay, and was there any other sort of mission statement for this album or was it just kind of the time to thrash and bash? Oh, uh, well, we do a lot more than thrash and bash, I think. I think we try to thrash and bash with some real purpose and intent behind it. So, uh, you know, the thrashing is by its nature sort of a blast of adrenaline and anger. Why are we so angry? Why have I spent the last 12 years of my life screaming into a microphone? Well, I think there's some very real and tangible reasons in the world about that. I think we're seeing a few of them manifest right now as we speak. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's why this music is valid as an artistic statement and uh, is more than just a, a retro thing or whatever whatever you might call it for me. Uh, I think thrash metal channels, uh, channels anger and aggression better than anything else I know. So that's why I'm here playing it. And I try to write entirely about real stuff. On the record, you have a mixture of what you might call big picture uh, civilizational themes and then small picture inter like uh, intrapersonal themes, where it's kind of, uh, I guess, the feeling of the individual living in this world where all this stuff is happening. <laughs> kind of a little inward and outward at the same time. Both perspectives. Yeah, that's the way we actually experience the world, so that's the way I experience it, so that's what I write. Makes perfect sense. I, you know, I was trying to think, do you play guitar at all? No, I don't, actually, but I wrote some of the riffs on the album. I can't play uh, can't play guitar to save, my life, to save my life. But you just mouth the riffs to your guitar player and do something like this and then kind of write it that way, then? Yeah, actually, uh, Firepower Kills are the main riffs. Uh, actually, a number of the riffs in the song came out by me uh, humming them, uh, a la Beavis and Butthead. 
<laughs> well, hey, now with, with all this quarantine time, maybe you do have time to learn how to play guitar. Maybe it is time to pick one up. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> been at home cooking up a storm with my wife, learning how to make all this different food. That's been uh, my quarantine. So it's not that bad in the material circumstances for me. I, I'm kind of a homebody when I'm not on tour anyway. It's a, it's a nice contrast to the touring life, which is the complete opposite. So that's like you've been spending your time is, is cooking? Cooking, hanging out with my wife. Uh, there's a new Doom game for PC that uh, my brother has, so I'm able to play that, and I'm, I'm grinding through that because I, I really have nothing much to do right now. We're waiting for the album to come out. And honestly, uh, interviews have been a great uh, deal of my time and probably the thing keeping me sane because I have a couple, <laughs> hours, a couple hours of this almost every day. Uh, keeping talking about, you know, my band, my work, which is my work in life, and reminding right. me that I, that I have something to do other than sit around my house and look at my cats, you know, because uh, right now we're very limited in what we can actually do. Yeah, no, I feel you. I mean, me doing this show is the only thing kind of keeping me sane throughout this and was kind of curious how you're spending that time. Are you, do you find yourself writing or is it, is it, or do you wish you were writing in that writing phase right now? You're, it feels like there's so much to write about. Oh, man, it's going to go in there, I'm sure, for the next one. But uh, it usually takes me a pretty long while after putting out an album to even start coming up with songs for the next one. Uh, so writing in that sense, yeah, it's been a while. I, I work uh, a little bit. Uh, one day I'm going to put out like a podcast or a YouTube channel or something about historical battles, one of my big interests aside from the band. Yeah, yeah, in my other life... Uh, after this record, I intend to go for my master's. I want to teach college. I want to, you know, teach about the the period from like Napoleon through World War II and in world history and geopolitics and all that stuff. So that works its way into the music, and that's kind of uh, where a lot of the really big picture perspective stuff in Warbringer comes from. And I try to juxtapose that with the small picture individual feeling stuff because. Uh, because of what I said earlier, you know, because of humanity working on all these different levels from big to small. Um, but I don't really write songs a lot when I'm sitting at home. They kind of come from all this other stuff, from stuff I read, stuff I looked at, or different songs I heard. Uh, but it kind of takes me a while after I put out an album to come up with anything new. And every time I put out an album, I, I just feel really spent on ideas. Yeah. And I feel feel like that's because I put all my ideas into the record. Now i got to spend some time generating a bunch of new ones and developing right. those until they can be songs. Is not touring, you, I know you appreciate the time at home, but are you getting that itch a little bit to, to get back on the stage? Yeah, of course. It's been a good minute. Uh, we did a really, really lengthy tour uh, kind of in setup for this record. Uh, where we did something no one should ever attempt, and uh, we did 54 shows in 54 days. Oh, man. That was, yeah, that was ruthless. We did it, and we kept a high standard of performance throughout, so I'm very proud of my band for that. Um, I think there's very few bands on the planet that have or, or would do something like that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I see ourselves as true thrash metal warriors, pretty much, and I, I think we walk the walk as well as talk it. Um but, yeah, I'm absolutely – so that kind of beat it out of me for a while. But that that ended in, like, late October. So uh, I'm ready to go back out there. But 
unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we didn't announce the tour that was going to be announced in May. Everything's being postponed. Uh, and the, the earliest show we have that's actually announced is November 28th because they can't book anything until we see when you can actually have a public gathering. Right, so, right. Uh, <laughs> the whole uh, industry is very disrupted. It's probably going to disrupt uh, our release in some ways, but, you know, just like anything else we've ever encountered in our career, um, we're, we're playing old-school draft metal. It's an uphill battle. We know that. We knew that going in, and this is no different. Uh, it's just yet another one. And so it's uh, the story of my life, fighting uphill battle after uphill battle so I can play the music <laughs> I believe in. That's how I see it anyway. And uh, this is one more of them. And, you know, I, I feel like we put out what's probably the best album of our career. Sure enough, we're going to put it out during a pandemic Screw me, right? And uh, I got to make it work anyway. And if that means I got to go tour harder later on it, then that's what I'm going to do because I, I do believe in what we're doing, and I've spent my life doing this. You know, that's the funny thing in, in prepping for this conversation. Oh, you know, Warbringer. You know that new school thrash band. They oh wait, that's been a while now. Like not so new anymore. There's been other thrash bands that have come up and tried to kind of take that modern approach that you started a decade plus ago. And it's crazy how, how in the blink of and I, it's been, has it been 15 years now? Uh, I think we're on, uh, since formation of the band, we're talking late 2004, and I'm, that's when we, like, met in a garage. The first show we ever played was a year later, and our first demo was, like, end of 2006. But uh, since our career began with our record, 12 years. So, yeah, it's yeah. about 15. We're, we're going on around that number. And if you were to, like, mirror our discography to Metallica's, we'd be on load now, except we didn't go <laughs> soft. You know? So, no, seriously, you know? Um, I think we really kept true to what we set out to do on the first record, and I think what we've done is evolve on that rather than change that. So I think there's no comparison to what we're doing now from where we started. I think we're a much, much stronger band. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I could say that. But I think that fundamentally, the aim of what we're trying to do on the first record, which is blow your goddamn head off when you hear it, we're still doing that. We're just doing that in a highly advanced way. That's how I see it. More prolific way. As fans, you know, us, us fans sitting at home, what's the best way to support an artist during this time? I mean, the same as usual. It's pretty much everything you would normally do, minus going to the concert. Yeah, in lieu of that, is it buy a T-shirt? Is it is it buy the album? Is it listen to it online repetitively? Like, what, what do you think, what's the most direct channel? I'm not a guy who's going to go out there and say, you know, support us by buying our stuff on this channel. What I really hope is that people get enjoyment out of our music, and I would hope that via the album, via the merchandise, via any, you know, we're making some uh, video, we're, we're making a behind-the-album documentary that's going to come out pretty soon that we're calling The Science of Thrash. Uh, we're putting out the first bit of that. Yeah, it's a whole behind-the-album thing. It's like 45 minutes. It's really in-depth. So we're putting that out in part to give people something to look at because we can't go play a show for them, you know? But basically, same as always, if you, if you buy anything from the band that helps the band, and furthermore, though, that's the material side. If you enjoy the music, 
tell people about the music and why you enjoyed it. To me, that matters even more. I care more about people enjoying my music than I care about them buying my product. I don't mind the buying the product part. It's necessary. It's part of the business model. But if I was here for business, I wouldn't have gone into music. I would have gone into something more, <laughs> lucrative, more lucrative than it. And, and I wouldn't be playing thrash metal if that was my aim. I'm, I'm here for art. I'm here for passion. So what I really hope, above all else, is that you enjoy it. That's what I really care about. And if you do, if you genuinely do, tell someone else who you think might like it too. That, that to me, is the most important thing. And that's what I really hope for on the most basic level is that people like the songs I put out. I put a lot into writing them. I want to write songs that I would like. And I, I hope that uh, other metal listeners or, or people who might enjoy metal that don't know it yet would enjoy this. Absolutely, yeah. Spread the word. That's the best kind of, uh, you know promotion you can get is word of mouth and that's that's what you're boiling it down to yeah it's just enjoying music on the purest essence i'm making this so you can enjoy it i hope you do as simple as that i love it yeah especially during these times nothing better than putting on an album and closing your eyes and, and blocking out the real world for a few yeah that's right though so a lot of our albums are about kind of looking at just taking the horror and the, the evil in the real world and just looking it straight in the eyes and dealing with it so uh you know i don't know if our albums work so well as escapism in that way it's kind of I, I i tend to try to write stuff that's uh tries to be ugly and real that focuses on the real world. So uh, I don't have one about a global pandemic. <laughs> we, we record the record in July, but it's almost uh, as a metal frontman who's been writing songs about kind of like, you know, societal crises, collapse of civilization, these kind of themes and stuff. It's almost like, see, this, this stuff is relevant. You know, not that I want to be right, but uh, it's, uh, I always thought that, the apocalyptic themes in metal kind of are an expression of this very real fear that the world we live in is actually pretty fragile and could fall apart without too much happening. And I think that uh, this kind of is a little, you know, a little wake-up call for the world. Hey, look, the entire uh, the world economy, world society, look at how much this one thing is disrupting it, you know? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a bit of an eye opener for people who are very used to the system basically working. Right, and toilet paper always being abundant in in abundance. Yeah, but I mean, one thing I looked at, I was reading about late stage Soviet communism and like the Czech Republic and stuff. You couldn't get stuff like toilet paper. You couldn't get all these consumer goods. We in the West are actually experiencing a little taste of what that might have been like. That's the thought I had on this one. Ah. Yeah. You know, speaking of uh, history and some of the other topics that we've kind of touched upon, uh, being a fan, thrash metal, touring, did you get a chance at the end of last year to, to say goodbye to Slayer? Did you get to go to any of the farewell tours and, and, and say goodbye to him yourself personally? I, I didn't uh, get to do that. When I got back from the tour, I didn't want to go see a cop for like two months. Uh, I know Carlos went to that. And uh, actually, we know Gary Holt, uh, who's, who's in Slayer, or, or right. was until they finished. Uh, personally, he recorded our second record. So right. I talked to him while he was, you know, about Slayer and stuff a couple times. I think, actually, it's, uh, I, I believe it's admirable that they, they hang it up and they go out this way while they're still a powerful live force and still in a form you can recognize them. I think that's actually actually honorable and good and I think one of the things you know and granted I'm a biased opinion look at the position I'm in but uh, I think actually that in the next decade or so 
that it might be important to have this kind of graceful bowing out of the old guard, having basically fulfilled their mission to create sweet metal, in order for you to get that next generation of bands playing straight metal, not some, you know, not metal core, not new metal, not any of these other things, but like metal, metal, with a capital M-E-T-A-L. <laughs> I almost think that you perhaps can't have a new band rise to anything close to that stature while you still have all the old bands in those shoes in that stature. So uh, what I hope is that when you do get kind of the bowing out of the first generation of thrash metal, that it doesn't result in a, a world where we don't have sweet thrash metal anymore, but hopefully rather in a uh, in a little new renaissance where, where all these new bands, you know, including hopefully ourselves, are able to like step in and fill that and make records that people look at in that way and stuff. That's always been my goal, is just making metal I would love. So uh, <laughs> I, I hope to be able to uh, continue that for a long time. Be honest with me, and percentage-wise, where do you think the odds are Slayer comes back in five years? Oh, Christ, I hope I hope zero, because I think it's... Uh, I think if you say that that's the end of your band, that you shouldn't then go back on it, you know, like a la Kiss or whatever. I think that's deeply dishonorable. I think you're at a certain point... If you do that stunt, you're taking the fans for a ride, because, you know, you charge more for your last tour ever front row seats or, uh -huh. or whatever, and they know it, and uh, last tour ever tour is going to sell better than random tour that isn't last tour ever, and they know it. So I think that if you do a last tour ever, it should be, or you shouldn't bill it that way. That's what well, I think. Beginning of the year, I was joking that 2020 was going to be dubbed the year of reunions because we had so many. Look, at, look who's out there or was going to be out there touring this year. Black Crows reuniting, Motley Crue reuniting, Rage Against the Machine reuniting, who else? My Chemical Romance reuniting. It was like all these bands that had, that had done the fair, Motley did the farewell tour five years ago and then all of a sudden they're back. It's like, is anyone ever really gone? No, it's weird. And then, then you die and they make a hologram of you. And that's, uh, there's this South Park episode called, about the member berries. You remember, you member? But if, if you've seen that, they, they do a great little spoof on how we as a culture seem really stuck on the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think it's because it's easy to sell something like, that you basically already know. Right. Uh, but we, we've kind of been caught in a loop where now you have, like, the remake of the prequel of the, you know, and it's just like, man, I, I almost feel bad for kids today because it's like, man, when I was growing up, all the original was original. Right. I didn't have to do, I didn't have to do, like, the sixth Terminator reboot. I had Terminator 1 and 2, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> had the originals, not the, the reboot of the reboot, the, re, the prequel and the, everything else. Yeah, and I think that in music you could make uh, kind of a similar comparison for, you know, one one thing where it's really uh, like, uh, okay, classic rock radio is like 40 songs, you know? Right. And I'm a fan, I'm a fan of that genre, and one of the big head scratchers for me is if you hear Thin Lizzy, it's going to be The Boys Are Back in Town, and that's a band with like nine or ten fantastic albums that have like, in my mind, like 20 or more songs you could easily put on the radio that you can remember the first time you hear it, you know? Right. It's like, it, but it's the I member factor. You know, I know that one. People I know know that one. And, and that, that second part's the really important bit. So I personally, as a listener of music or of anything else, never really cared about that. I, You know, I might even go 
on the other side where I, I kind of privilege the stuff where other people generally don't know it, where that has some kind of appeal to me that might warp my judgment, actually. But I always, I always liked the idea of marching to the beat of my own drum. And uh, a lot of the music and stuff that I consider so great is, like, not super well-known. And it's not because of that, I guess, but uh, I think that that's a psychological factor of just sort of a rejection of this idea that everyone's going to listen to the same stuff. Everybody likes the same stories. Everybody, you know, is good. everybody who likes, you know, the first five Spider-Mans is going to go watch the next five and that kind of thing. Where right. we're sort of in this endless retread of everything. And, you know, because you liked Master of Puppets, you're now going to listen to every record they ever released, <laughs> even if it sounds nothing like it, you know, so on and so forth. You know, right. I could get really iconoclastic here because that's kind of the dude I am, but uh, I won't. <laughs> Well, John, I appreciate all the time, and I just had, I had one last kind of question for you, talking about being a music fan and, and kind of going back to maybe some of those uh, those artists that you do here on the radio for a second and take this little journey with me, because I think we're close in age, and I, like you, was a thrash kid growing up and loved thrash metal and hated when the 90s rolled around originally and, and Nirvana and all that music kind of kicked in and vehemently hated a lot of that music for the first 10 years or so of that music. It wasn't until it got, you know, 20 years on where I kind of started to kind of have an appreciation for that music. I didn't get it right away, but slowly over time, and there were certain bands I liked and songs along the way. And 15, 20 years on from the grunge movement, I, I found an appreciation and, and love for it, and I see its place in time and history and music and everything. So I wanted to play a little grunge game with you. We all know the big, okay. we all know the big yeah. four, right? We had the big four of thrash metal. So if, if grunge too, yeah, I, I call it the flannel five. To encapsulate okay, who, who's number five? I know who the first four are going to be. Yeah, Stone Temple Pilots is, is the one you're ah, not thinking of. There you go. Okay. You want me to list them? Because I do have, uh, this is actually something I've debated and argued. See, I'm, I'm 33, so I'm not, ah. I wasn't into thrash metal at the time it initially happened. Okay. So I got into, the, I got into all metal in general like a couple of years before I started this band. That was the impetus for starting the band. I don't have that bias, and I actually, uh, grew up on like Alice in Chains alongside my Black Sabbath as I was getting in the metal and didn't get that contrast. Ah, okay. So they so just so we're all on the same page, yes, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains is the five. Yeah. And you're number Alice one. Alice in Chains, hands down. Tell me why. Uh I really like the dark sense of melody and the the depressive atmosphere. I think you I think even though Blaine Staley's a dude who destroys himself and lives in a way that's horrible for himself and the people he loves, that the pain that that causes creates a unique kind of art that, uh, you know, kind of like a shooting star that burns up. I imagine that guy like that. Their latter era stuff with, uh, with the newer vocalists is actually very strong, too. William uh, Duvall. Yeah, William Duvall. He, he's quite fantastic as well. They do some really good songs, and they do a great mixture of the heavier, like more metal-tinged stuff, and these they do really great acoustic thing, uh, albums, too. I think Jar of Flies might be my favorite release by them, actually. But I, I really like that band. Soundgarden would be my number two. I, I see a lot of Black Sabbath and Soundgarden in particular. Oh, yeah. Uh, some, of the, some of the riffs, man, are just right out of the Sabbath playbook. And what's funny is, in this way, the grunge movement as a response to what 80s metal had become, you know, where by the time you get your, your poison and what have you, uh, it's actually, in a way, it's almost taking it back to the roots, you know, of doomy freaking riffs. Yeah. Uh, so, in a way, it's like the, you know, in a way, grunge is like taking metal back to some of the roots. It, 
when it happens around 1990. And I think Soundgarden, though, just, uh, you know, Rusty Cage is like almost a speed metal song. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that riff in Rusty Cage really sounds, there's a band called Larry and the Butthole Servers from the 90s that has certain, like, guitar sound thing going on. That Rusty Cage riff is, like, right in there. It's a cool guitar band, pretty much. But uh, anyway, there's some great, uh, some great tip from Soundgarden. I would put Nirvana as a third. I actually really like Kurt Cobain as a, a, a vocalist and stuff. I'm not into any time you get anyone who gets those superlatives, like, he's a poet, a voice of a generation. I'm like, come on. I, I write songs, so I want a more critical, realistic look at the, the bands I'm looking at. That doesn't mean they don't write great songs. Uh, what Nirvana really did is took, as far as I can tell, is took that Pixies formula of basically slow-versed, fast, fast-aggressive chorus and really ran with it and made it into something that could go on the radio and dominate the radio. And that's an achievement in and of itself because it was an original. I think that take on it is an original formula for the time it comes out. It's, it's not original anymore because all kinds of other people saw how good it worked and, and <laughs> took notes, but, but it was at the time it happened, or at least relatively so. Uh, and Pearl Jam never grabbed me in the way of the other ones. And Stone Temple Pilots, I don't actually know the discography well enough to comment on, so they go in fifth place, but with ah, an asterisk. Okay. Alice in Chains, numero uno, pick a Alice in Chains tune to play on the radio. Uh, well, do you want more like a rocking one or a really like let's get thumbed out one? Because there's, there's kind of two flavors to that band. More rocking, because yeah. it's going to be next to your music. Oh, okay. Because, you know, very often I'll gravitate towards something like like Brother from Sap, and that's that's not anything but rocking. Give me a second here. There's a lot of songs I like by this group. Um, you know, let's do, a, not so much in the rock, let's do Angry Chair. That's a really good one. It's got that creepy-ass verse that just sounds like being in this hellish setting. And it goes into the, like, the kind of soft and uplifting chorus. And that's just a really cool dynamic in that song. So I'll, I'll go for Angry Chair. It's, uh, that verse is really evil. I love it, man. That's, yeah, it's one of, one of the killer, killer tunes. John, always a blast talking to you, man. I appreciate the time. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now just hit the subscribe button. That way you get it sent to you directly. And follow me on social media at MikeZ967. Don't miss the radio show, bro. Wired in the Empire happens every Saturday night at midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks online at kcalfm.com. Adios.